Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we are producing this podcast from and pay our respects to the Camaragal people and their elders past and present. We also acknowledge the traditional owners of the land you are listening from today. It was the year 1932. For England take the field for Australia's first innings at Adelaide after having put 341 runs on the board themselves. The Ashes series was back on the Australian soil and the don of the cricketing world Sir Donald Bradman was at the peak of his form. However, the English side led by Douglas Jardine came with a secret weapon that the cricket world had never seen until then. The bodyline bowling. Hang on sunshine, I thought we were talking about the South Asian colors of Australian cricket. And how does the bodyline series fit in? It was between Australia and England, wasn't it? Yes, 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 yes. It was between Australia and England. But a cricketer from India played a major role in that series. How many cricket fans would know that? Okay, let me ask you a question too. When was the first time India played a test match against Australia? That's easy. 1947-48 when the Indian team toured Australia. Incorrect. Hmm? It was much earlier than that. Although it's not commonly known, Australia's cricket connections with the Indian subcontinent actually dates back to the 19th century. So today, let's discover this glorious history. to another episode of Colors of Cricket. I am Preeti Jabbal. And I am Kulasegaram Sanjayan. The Colors of Cricket is an eight-part podcast series in which SBS takes you on a journey which explores cricket connections between Australia and the South Asian countries. This episode is all about amazing and inspiring stories that most of us may never have heard of or thought possible. The official cricket connection between the Indian subcontinent and Australia began in 1947, just after India gained independence from British rule. The Indian team visited Australia for a five-match test series. That is the official history, but we are going beyond that. We are going to the prehistoric times of this cricket connection. Cricket for me means culture. I don't like cricket, I love it. This is Colours of Cricket. Before 1947, there were numerous matches, celebrations, heartbreaks and subcontinental superstars. Sanchayan, since you mentioned superstars, let's start with that. Do you know that much before Sachin and Kohli, Kapil and Gavaskar, Patodi and Vishwanath, there was an Indian cricketer who had enthralled the Australian fans. One who walked on the Australian streets like a rock star. Let us go back to those times. One night in Adelaide, a thin, dark, moustachioed gentleman was seen walking down a main street. News went around it was Ranji, and in no time, about 500 men and boys were following him down the street, cheering the while. 
The dark foreigner seemed surprised, but he smiled and bowed and raised... The year was 1897. Australia was yet to become a federation. And on November 13 that year, the Bulletin, a magazine published in Sydney, wrote this on their sports page. The crowd, now numbering quite 1,000 persons, followed him for about a quarter of a mile, cheering itself hoarse, the gentleman always graciously acknowledging until, at last, the procession reached a street corner. There, the great cricketer stopped and removed his hat and put on an apron. He was Militiades Demetrius Smith, ice cream merchant. The Adelaide crowd, though mistakenly, was cheering for an Indian cricketer, Ranjit Sinji, or K.S. Ranji. He was part of the touring English side playing in the Ashes series. Such was the fervour created by Ranjit Singhji, the most illustrious batsman and an excellent fielder. Ranji was the first Indian or brown-skinned player to play in the English national cricket team. Ranji was perhaps the first subcontinent cricketer to play in Australia, or at least that is what all the records show. His batting excellence, as well as his life off the pitch, were widely reported and discussed in the Australian media in those days. He was Maharaja Ranjit Sinji, who would go on to rule the princely state of Navanaga in India for a period of 26 years. But before he claimed the royal throne, Ranji ruled the game of cricket. He came in in 1897-8 as kind of the uncrowned king of batting. And he introduced Australians, I think, to an entirely different style of play. This is Gideon Hay, one of the most coveted cricket writers and journalists in Australia. Cricket was not particularly technically sophisticated in those days. It tended to be rather rigid. It tended to be confined to the offside. Australians took the game very seriously. They were not actually particularly aggressive players themselves. They were known for their obstinacy and their austerity in, in some ways. But Ranjit Sinji kind of introduced them to the idea of a touch and you know, the ability to access different parts of the field by timing and wristiness with a kind of an oriental exoticism and also glamour, because you know, Ranjit Sinji was one of the most glamorous figures in the empire and he happened to be identified with cricket. He gave off the whiff of prosperity and Eastern mysticism but it was not only the mystery and charm, but his batting prowess had also received equal attention. Here's Patrick Skeen, a cricket historian and writer. He had an amazing series. He scored 175 runs, he averaged 50, and he was one of the few successes on that tour. And I often think about the people who were in the stands at Sydney that day when he batted for 215 minutes and scored that 175 in the first test. And that was, at the time, England's highest score in test matches. So that's the first taste of Australians seeing Indian excellence in cricket. But we can't say that Ranji's visit was the first time the Australian cricket team had a South Asian encounter. No, of course not. Hop in the time machine. We need to go back further. In the 19th century, international cricket was just between two nations, the Aussies and the English. But for either team to tour, they had to sail for 40 days to reach their opponent. So, they would break the journey in Ceylon, 
or Sri Lanka as it is now known. Cricket had already been introduced to Ceylon by the British and the Aussie team had played warm-up matches in Colombo to hone their skills before taking on the arch-rivals. The first contact between Sri Lanka, which was known as Ceylon uh, back in those days, and Australia happened in 1884. The Australian team that were known as the Fourth Australians all funded themselves to go and tour England, which is amazing when you think about it now, but they all agreed to invest a sum uh, into the tour. And on the way out there to England, they stopped at Colombo and they had what's called an odds game. So it was 11 Australians versus 18 English people that were working in Ceylon at the time, the best English colonial cricketers. So it was an interesting scorecard and the Australians made 75 with their 11 players and all 18 players of Ceylon got bowled out for 39. That was perhaps the first time an Australian team played cricket in the Indian subcontinent. Still, it was not against a subcontinental team yet. That would take more than three decades from that point. Colours of cricket. How much did you know about these heroes and stories before we started preparing this series? I was of the impression that I knew quite a lot about cricket history. But the stories unearthed by the SBS research proved me wrong. I'm sure you're also on the same ground. Absolutely. We are batting on the same pitch. But you remember, we are yet to reveal who was the first South Asian-born Australian player. Patrick Skeen is here with the answer. The very first point of contact incidentally happened in the very first test match to be held in 1877 between Australia and England. One of the Australian cricketers was a gentleman by the name of Bransby Cooper, and he was born in Dhaka, which is modern-day Bangladesh. And he played first-grade cricket in England, and then he moved to Australia where he played for Victoria. And he was the first Indian-born cricketer to play, play in a test. He only played that one test and he was moved on. He only scored 16 runs in that test. It's amazing to know that there was a player born in the Indian subcontinent in the very first international cricket game in history. You are listening to the colours of cricket. It was the year 1917. The First World War was far from over. The war left around 20 million people dead and almost 21 million wounded. But as much as the wars divide people and leave deep wounds in their minds and bodies, they help foster new allies and friendships as well. Australian and Indian soldiers were brothers in arms in Gallipoli. The Sikh and Gurkha battalions from India were fighting alongside the Anzacs. This has paved the way for the first ever cricket match between an Indian side and an Australian side. August 11, 1917, the Lord's Cricket Ground in London was hosting a military cricket match. A military cricket match, Australia versus India, is to be played at the Lords on Saturday. Australia will be represented by C. Calloway, Docker, Barber and Jay Taylor, New South Wales, Lampard, TJ Matthews... Ballarat Courier newspaper wrote so on August 10th that year. Even though it was called a military cricket match, the Indian team was mainly made up of students. There were two nephews of the great Ranjit Singhji, 
there were three players from Ceylon, including John Lionel Kotlawala, who became the third Prime Minister of Ceylon. And there's also Paranasiva Subarayan, who became the Chief Minister of Madras and the Federal Minister of Transport and Communication. So you've got these young Lions looking to get together to play their first game, and awaiting them is the Australians. Nine of them became or were already first-class cricketers, led by Charles Kellaway, who actually played 26 test matches for Australia. And one other uh, notable was Jimmy Matthews, a uh, famous leg spin bowler who played eight tests for Australia. And he's famed for being the only bowler to get two hat-tricks in the same test match series. That's what kicked off the grand tradition of games between Australian and Indian teams. Nothing unexpected came from the match. The more experienced Australian side thrashed the Indian students, who were all out for 57 in the first innings in 56 overs, a run rate of just above one per over. Only one batsman touched two digits, while four of them got out for ducks. But the Indian team was more competitive in bowling. They wrapped up the Australian first innings for 105 runs, with Churchill Gunasekara and RJ Tata taking five wickets each. The match ended when the Indians were 22 for four in the second innings. And the Australian team was declared the winner based on the first innings score, as reported by the Daily Mail newspaper on the 13th of August. A cricket match was played at the Lords between teams representing Australia and India. There was an attendance of several thousands. The Indians, chiefly students, including two nephews of the famous Ranjit Sinji, made a poor show with the bat, being disposed of for a total of 57. Matthews bowled in deadly fashion, taking seven wickets for 15. We don't like cricket, but we love it. Cricket needs sportsmanship, teamwork and cooperation. It is also a lot of fun. You're listening to Colours of Cricket. Now let's go to the story that we started with, Sanjayan, of the Bodyline series. The love of cricket seems to be an inherent quality in every Australian, and the youngster is not long out of the cradle before his hands itch to hold a bat. It was the year 1932. It was the time of the Great Depression. The Australian economy was suffering hugely following the Wall Street stock market crash in 1929. By mid-1932, the unemployment rate hit 32%. But Australian youngsters were trying to find solace in cricket and great players like Don Bradman were promoting the game to youngsters. Cricket is a glorious game and is made the more interesting and sporting because of its uncertainty. Play the game for the game's sake is my advice to the youngsters coming on and keep your eyes on the ball. And the English team was here in Australia for the Ashes series, a series that turned out to be the most historic and notorious one. There was an Indian player in the Borderline series and he was one of the most notable players in the series as well. The Australian fans were waiting to see the batting skills of Duleep Singhji, the nephew of Ranjit Singhji, who was already making a name for himself as a stylish batsman. But... While we regret the absence of Duleep Singhji from the coming English side, there is one personality of the touring party who is certain to catch the eyes of the spectators, and that is the Nawab Iftikhar Ali Khan of Pataudi, to give him his full title. Iftikhar Ali Khan Pataudi, or the Nawab of Pataudi. He was the opener of the English cricket team, former Australian test cricketer, 
C.J. McCartney wrote this in the Northern Star newspaper in 1932. Nawab is only 22 years of age. Some cricket experts describe Patadi as superior in batsmanship to Dilip Singh, but with this I cannot agree, as I consider the latter the more finished and polished artist, while Nawab is at times the more punishing player. Bradman didn't play the first test in Sydney, but the Nawab of Patadi got all the attention. Intended to get a century in his first Test match, like Ranji and Dooley before him, he succeeds, but is bowled almost immediately afterwards by Nagel. Patodi scored 102 runs from 380 balls and helped England win the Test by 10 wickets. However, that century is not what Patodi is remembered for. Patodi stood up against his own captain Douglas Jardine and questioned the bodyline tactics. He even refused. to field on the leg side when he arrived with england for the bodyline series nobody really knew what to expect so a lot of australian fans were amazed when he took the australian side against the bodyline tactics and officially protested against his captain douglas jardine that was really amazing for australians to have an indian take their side who was also playing for england and in many ways you can say that that moment galvanized a lot of people in australian cricket patodi only played two matches in that series and it was widely known at that time that he was dropped because of his opposition to bodyline tactics and douglas jardine the villain of the of the bodyline saga said to him i see his highness is a conscientious objector so that's someone saying the principles of cricket are more important than hurting someone and winning what he thought was unfairly and he was dropped after that by Jardine because he had taken a stand but towards the end of the tour he was quoted saying I'm I'm told Jardine has good points but in 3 months I've yet to see them Patodi's story didn't end there he left England very soon after that ashes series and became a part of the Indian national cricket team He became the only player to have played for both the Indian and the English teams. And the story continued while the Bodyline series was widely discussed and featured in the sports circles and being lamented and debated even now. Nawab of Patodi's defiance was clearing the way for the beginning of a long-running relationship. The beginning of the Australia-India cricket series. When looking at cricket relationship between Australia and the subcontinental countries, we shouldn't just look at the matches between them but also look at how they helped each other let's talk about an australian coach a coach who trained the indian team for their first ever test match frank tarrant is i think one of the most interesting cricket characters megan ponsford is a cricket researcher and historian and the granddaughter of australian cricket legend bill ponsford according to her frank tarrant the Victorian who played in England before going to India as a guest of the Maharaja of Patiala was the first foreign coach of the Indian team. Frank Tarrant helped the Indian team prepare for their first ever international test match against England in 1932. He had gone to England as a professional. I think it was in 1903 he left. stayed there for a number of years during the war he started um he'd met through Ranji or oh, Ranji had said look come over to India and had really spent all that time in India since then helping to assist the growth of Indian cricket but he was really the 
Maharaja's right-hand man in cricket. When we remember the growth of cricket in India, we could not ignore the princely state of Patiala. Patiala, at present, is a city in the North Indian state of Punjab. Even though cricket was introduced to India in the 1700s, the idea of the first national team came from the then Maharaja of Patiala, Bupinda Singh. He was a cricket fanatic at that time and had spent huge amount of money on the game. If that's not enough to mark the legacy of Bhupinder Singh, here is another interesting one. He was the first Indian captain. He was the captain of the first Indian national cricket team that visited England in 1911, playing many first-class matches. Along with the Maharaja of Patiala, Frank Tarrant was instrumental in introducing an Australian connection to Indian cricket. There has been much research and publication about Tarrant recently, and all of them call him a forgotten pioneer who helped foster ties. From 1927 to 1933, he actually played for Patiala in India, actually played for an Indian. So he's the first Australian to play. And if you look at the IPL now, there's a host of Australians playing for different parts of India. But Frank was truly the pioneer to play over there. Mike Coward has written a book called Cricket's Forgotten Pioneer, The Frank Tarrant Story. And I quote, mentored by Plum Warner, befriended by Kumar Ranjit Singhji, and a taker of W.G. Grace's wicket. Tarrant's career spanned 37 years in Australia, England and India. After the Great War prematurely ended his brilliant career at Middlesex, he intensified his coaching in India and helped prepare the national team for Test cricket. An internationalist by instinct, Tarrant fulfilled the wish of his patron, the Maharaja of Patiala, to establish the first formal cricket ties between India and Australia. In 1935-36, Tarrant managed the first, albeit unofficial, Australian team to India, and with his captain Jack Ryder, foretold of the greatness that awaited India as a cricket nation. As Patrick Skeen mentioned, Frank Tarrant was a mastermind behind the first Australian tour of India in 1935. So that is what we are going to share now. The Australian tour of India in 1935. It was an unofficial tour though. The Australian cricket board of that time didn't want to send a team to India. But Frank Tarrant, who visited Australia on behalf of the Maharaja of Patiala, managed to organise a team. Megan Ponsford has dug deep into this and has published a book on this tour. I really believe that the team that went to India in 35-36 was pretty much a rogue team. The Maharaja and Tarrant were left with either retired players or new up-and-coming ones that who knows whether they're ever going to make it or not. When the team was being proposed, they wanted my grandfather, Bill Ponsford, they wanted Bill Woodfull and they wanted Kipax to play. And for some unknown reason, even though they'd all retired, they were not allowed to play in India. And my reading of that is that the Australian authorities possibly didn't really want this tour to be an enormous success. So they ended up with Iron Munger, who was age 53 at the time. And one of the Indian writers who wrote, they were superannuated old discards, you know, so <laughs> cricket discards. I don't quite agree with that. In the end, he was kind of quite desperate for players. He had Ryder as his captain, McCartney as his vice-captain, who were both, you know, ex-Test players, who were both well-respected, very, very talented players, but they were quite senior in years. 23 games were played, including four 
unofficial tests. They weren't allowed to be called tests because they weren't tests and the Australian Board of Control got really annoyed at any suggestion that it was emulating a test. But so four unofficial tests and another 19 games were played all over India. They had this absolutely crazy itinerary where they bounced from city to region to city and it was just there's no rationale because they basically you know cross back and forth across India so many times and they always talk about the endless rail trips that, that they went on which in the beginning they were quite excited about about journeying across India by rail but it was full of you know kind of long arduous trips and they uh, they won 11 games they lost three and there were nine draws it was success for the Indians at least. There were some games won by them. They were encouraged enough by the result to kind of think that they'd have a better chance of playing England in middle of 36. We had mentioned another name in between, an important name, but didn't explain it. Do you remember which one, Sanjayan? Duleep Sinji. We are yet to go there. We cannot finish this episode without mentioning him because he is our connection between pre-1947 and post-47. And why 1947? I mentioned it in the beginning. It was the first official series between Australia and India. Dolip Singhji was a nephew of Ranjit Singhji and was another prolific batsman like his uncle. Ranji had invented the leg glance, but Dolip had another shot in his armoury. His legacy in cricket terms was the late cut. His, his uncle's was the leg glance, another beautiful shot, and he played 12 tests for England, including four against Australia. He had an amazing average of 59.43. And uh, he actually got 173 in the first test in 1930 at Lords, two runs short of his uncle Ranjit Singhji, who got 175 in, in, in the first test in Sydney. Dalip Singhji never played in Australia. He was one of the very first English players to be selected for the 1932 Ashes series. Unfortunately, tuberculosis spoiled that. That disease ended his career as well. Even though he could not play cricket in Australia, he came to Australia very soon. Not with the English. Nor as a cricketer. But representing India. As a diplomat. Dulip Singhji was appointed as the second Indian High Commissioner to Australia in 1950. That was the incredible journey through history before 1947. I'm sure most of you wouldn't have heard these stories before. And we have a long way to go from 1947 to 2022. And in the next episode, we are going to explore how Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Bangladesh, India and now Nepal are influencing Australian cricket. Cricket.